What's up, interpreters? This is Liz Moore with Planning School, and I'm excited to be here today talking with you about things like strategic planning and transformation and leadership development and all the incredible things that we all get to do together working in the world of interpretation. What is up, interpreters? I am NAI Executive Director Paul Caputo, coming to you live from cloudy Fort Collins, Colorado. What up, interpreters? This is Song Stott. I am your NAI events and conference manager, and we are his, here with Liz Moore. We are so excited for you to be with us, Liz. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be with you, too. You know, I should also say by way of introduction that uh, Liz has, I believe, just completed uh, we are uh, we are going to be launching uh, July first our asynchronous learning module, our learning management system for uh, NAI's new asynchronous courses. And Liz is working on a course or has completed her work now on on that course uh, that will launch on July first. So we're very excited for this new era of our professional development and education program that that Liz will be a part of. But first, we are talking about the the work that you do with uh, within the world of interpretation. I would say it's it's fair to say that you have a unique approach to strategic planning for interpreters. Can you just tell us what uh, what that approach is? Yeah, absolutely. I think it is unique too. So one of the ways that I like to talk about the differences in planning is to give a framework of there's really honestly probably only three buckets of planning that we ever dive into. There's project planning, management planning, and strategic planning. And usually we're actually doing management planning. So long-range interpretive plans, things like that, fall into this management planning bucket. But we think we're doing strategic planning because we do it at a retreat or we use strategic thinking. We use our strategic acumen. We put a vision statement on it and we think we're doing strategic planning when really we're just doing management planning. And because of that, because of that gap, it's it's just a, maybe a gap. I think of it like we have a gap in education about what tools are available to us in the planning world. Even people who've been planning for years and years at a high level, um, we're missing we're missing some pizzas in our toolbox. And because of that, we don't actually get to have the full benefit of the different ways of planning. And Strategic planning should be transformational in nature. Strategic planning should help you answer the question, what is it that we need to transform about what we do and how we do it? And how are we going about making those transformations? So that's one thing is I like people to really start to understand how maybe what they think they're doing isn't exactly what they think they're doing and there might be a way to do it. Um, that has more impact and gives them yet another tool to manage, um, lead, and transform their interpretive programs. But the other thing is, is I think we should all be doing it ourselves. Uh, and this is coming from someone who used to be a full-time traveling consultant and facilitator. I went around the country um, doing strategic planning retreats along with other kinds of retreats. And I think that we've done a disservice, us consultants have done a disservice making strategic planning look like it's magic that some consultant comes in and does. And it's not magic. I'm sorry, I'm pulling back the curtain. There's actually a reliable, repeatable process. And in this 
day and age, things change so fast. There's so much uncertainty in our work worlds, in the business context. And with that change, we have to be able to be strategic when we need to be strategic, not just when we can afford to bring someone in to do it for us. And so I'm a huge advocate at this point. It's not that I don't do any consulting. Um, sometimes there are complex situations that need some consulting, but I'm a huge advocate of teaching people how to do strategic planning so that it's something that they can use when and where they need to, to create the transformation that they're looking to create. We have to be able to adapt more readily. So those are kind of two of, two of the things that maybe make our approach different. That is awesome. You mentioned reliable, repeatable process, and that certainly um, lends itself to really giving the organizations and the folks that you're consulting with the tools to have a long-term sustainable process in place. Can you elaborate a little bit on what, like what some of those processes are? Yeah. So We've really transitioned from the bulk of our work being consulting and facilitating to being education. Uh, listen, I've always been a teacher at heart. Uh, my previous career, I was in aviation. I was a flight instructor. I used to teach people how to fly airplanes and teach clinics to um, pilots about different things aviation related. I love teaching. And even when I was a consultant, um, I was teaching what we were doing in our planning activities. And so after COVID hit and everything started to shift, I really, really got committed to this model of like, we need to teach people how to do these things. So we've got a variety of ways that we teach people how to do strategic planning, how we teach interpreters, how to learn how to do strategic planning for an interpretive program, which is very different than long range interpretive planning. It's different than visitor use management planning. Um, and we've got a, you know, we've got everything from on-demand, online, at your own pace courses to a program where we teach you how to be a facilitator of strategic planning and build a plan and take teams through it, and and even programs in between where you just learn how to do it on your own. So we really are we're teaching people how, teaching people a reliable process that they can use over and over. And I just want to say, like, process education is what's missing. We learn about strategy. We learn about how to work with other people. We learn about team dynamics. We learn about, um, we learn about, like, how to do, you know, follow a management planning protocol. We don't learn process very often. And I think that when we can learn process and use it as a tool, then it really opens the door for different ways to reach the goals that we are excited about. So yeah, we teach a lot now, Song. <laughs> um, there are a lot of different fields where strategic planning is necessary. A lot of different kinds of organizations do strategic planning. How is strategic planning in the world of interpretation different? Yes, I, I kind of think that... Um, uh, it doesn't matter what field you're in, right? Strategic planning can be useful because it is a tool to help you make transformation. And I think that when it comes to the world of interpretation, a lot of it is introducing what 
feels like a new tool for a lot of people. So it's taking a tool that might be useful across the board and applying it to interpretive programs to actually create transformation. For example, um, a lot of, I work with a lot of national parks and there's been a, for the last many years, there's been a lot of parks that are saying, we recognize that we haven't included the Native American tribes in that were originally part of the land that we now steward and tell stories of. We are not including those stories in our storytelling. And we know that that's a gap. And that's a scary thing to approach if you are not steeped in how to navigate relationship building with historically um, excluded or marginalized communities. And so they're, they're, they're going, we need to make a transformation here. But where on earth do we start? How do we sh make this shift in the identity of our interpretive program? It's going to change the scope of our interpretive program, maybe the timeline of our interpretive program, the message, the outcomes, the impact that we make. How do we make that transformation? And so for interpreters, I feel like what's unique for interpretive programs is the consequences of not doing real strategic planning to help them go through these big transformational changes because you get stuck kind of in more superficial context and you don't make the deeper transformation that needs to happen for the outcomes that you're looking at. So there's, there's a high consequence to not fully planning for the transformations that people are looking for in interpretation. And I think that, I, I don't know, maybe I'm curious what you all think, but I feel like there's a desire for deep impact that's meaningful in the interpretive community that makes the consequences high of like not doing it right. I don't know. I see heads nodding. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I agree with that. And I think it's because the work that interpreters are doing to create these connections, the stakes are high, right? Like the stakes are yes. high. If we, if we don't help build a, a conservation ethic uh, by creating connections to nature, uh, the the consequences of of that are disastrous for our right. our 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 environment. If we don't do a good job of building connections between communities uh, by interpreting culture. Uh, then, you know, this divisiveness that we're experiencing grows. And if we don't do a good job of interpreting history, then we're doomed to repeat our history. Repeat and mm -hmm. and so all of the things that interpreters are doing out there, and this is sort of my soapbox, right? Like everything that interpreters are doing are helping to to fight the crises that we face as a as a people and a planet. So uh, So yes, the stakes are high for getting interpretation wrong. Yeah. And so then I think with strategic planning for interpretive programs, who you're talking to in the process and when and how is unique, um, who you're engaging when and how is unique for interpreters, the outcomes of strategic planning and how those um, become an executable plan is different for interpreters than, say, a for-profit business. So the inputs and the outputs are different. The process itself is pretty reliable, regardless of what sector you're in, before interpreters learning. I saw I, I say learning planning adaptations 
you know, depending on what sector you're in, if you're in the nonprofit world or the business world or working for a government agency, the, the process model is fairly consistent, but there are adaptations that are different depending on which sector you're in. And for interpreters, it kind of even goes deeper into not just nonprofit or government agency, but also interpretive planning. The inputs and the, and the outcomes are unique and you need to understand how to make those adaptations to get the most out of the tool. Yeah, so Liz, I'm just looking at the planning school website, which is really full. You do a lot of stuff, <laughs> but you do also, uh, you've recently added uh, an arm to the planning school and it's a women's leadership program. Do you yeah. want to tell us a little bit about that? That's very yes, exciting. Yes, yeah. So the all the women's leadership work comes from a company that I had before that just merged with planning school. And so I've been doing these women's leadership programs and coaching programs for years for women. And one of the things that I, when I, when I start my calls with people who are interested in the program, one of the things I like to say early on is who we are as individuals and who we are as professionals, they're not separate. Who we are in our work life is not separate from who we are as a human. And so I look at professional development and leadership development through this lens of we're not, I'm not going to do professional development that's separate from personal development because we are one human. So that's one of the underlying maybe tenants for the work that I do with these programs and the programs are for anyone who might identify who identifies as a as woman or feminine um, or has experienced that perception of them and i think that that's actually important so what we do in the women's leadership program is we unpack the ways that we get stopped and a lot of that has to do with you know, uh, the consequences of systems of harm and oppression, where we are, we're all underneath these different ideologies and there are structural components to it that stop us from showing up fully in our leadership and in the work that we do. And so the program is like, where are we getting stopped? Can we understand some of the structures and the systems that are leading to that and what we might do differently? Can we kind of move away, move out some of the emotional responses and like let them digest fully so that they don't stop us as well, so that we can show up more fully in our leadership, so that we can express and be less fearful of how we might be perceived? Because I think that part of what's challenging in today's world is we are missing voices that need to be heard. And so the program is really like, how can we all show up more fully in our voice and contribute to the conversation and the work in bigger ways? Yeah. Do you find that imposter syndrome uh, is pretty rampant <laughs> with some of these groups? Yeah. I And I think that that's how we view it too, is it feels like imposter syndrome. Like I can tell you that I really struggled for a lot of my careers um, with a great deal of hidden lack of confidence. On the outside, I looked 
confident, bold risk taker out there inside was terrifying for me at all times. I was dealing with a ton of anxiety and constantly having to kind of force myself into my leadership roles. And this is like, I'm in front of, you know, 75 people in a room and looking like I'm confident, but inside I'm having a different internal experience and that's stopping me from actually showing up authentically. And so that's what I'm hoping to help shift for, for people is that internal experience that even if it looks good on the outside, that internal experience is there and it is actually limiting us, Mm -hmm. but we can make shifts with that. We, NAI's membership, the entire time I've been here and it will be 22 years in two days at the time of this recording that I've been with NAI has uh, typically been about uh, two thirds women. And, uh, you know, and it's, and it's, it's, it's an interesting field in, in that regard, but it faces the challenges that you see in a, in a lot of organizations, a lot of nonprofit, a lot of the nonprofit world where a lot of the field is women, but a lot of the leadership roles, you know, there's still that glass ceiling in place. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious to know how you fold in the work that you do with the women's leadership program into, and you said that the women's leadership program was separate from the planning school and now has been folded into the planning school. Um, and just one, you know, last easy question for you here before we let you get out of here. But uh, I'm, I'm curious to know how you fold the work that you do with the women's leadership program into the strategic planning work that you do. Hmm. Great question. So the way that I think about what we do at planning school is strategic planning is a way to actually help people learn how to be change leaders. So really we're about change leadership at planning school, transformation leadership. How do we face into fear? How do we face into the context that we're in and create change that's needed? And so it's just another way to help people have confidence in their change leadership skills, another offering for that. And it really is that, like, how do we change? (laughs) (laughs) So Liz, a little, little different question, but I am super curious. How did you go from aviation flight school trainer into interpretation? That's not like, you know, that's natural. (laughs) I heard that and I was just like, whoa, I want to talk about flying. And then, you know, we had so Uh much other interesting stuff to talk about. So so thank you for bringing us back. How did you get into interpretation, Liz? The short version is um, I always had a passion for what is the boring field of organizational development (laughs) since forever. Um, So I always had a passion for organizational development, but that's maybe the field to say, I always had a passion for working with purpose-driven people around how can they be living on purpose and doing that important work in the world. So even though I was in aviation, I worked for an international aircraft manufacturer, leading project management, overseeing their production facility. I was a commercial pilot and flight instructor on the side because apparently I can't 
possibly have any free time. Um, on the side, I was doing organizational development kind of work. So consulting, facilitating, working with people um, in that realm. And when I left aviation, um, I went and got a set. Well, before I left aviation, I got a second degree in organizational leadership. And it was just, I loved aviation and flying, but I was hitting this glass ceiling so hard as a female in such a male dominated industry. And I needed to move on from that and be somewhere where I could expand fully. And this was already work that I did. So I started um, doing organizational development kind of work with national parks all around the country, team development, leadership development, retreats, strategic planning, change management, those kinds of things. And um, fell in love with the interpreters through the National Park Service. That is very, very cool. I'm I'm so glad to to hear that story, though. I am sorry about how how you got forced out of there. That is no, I I don't regret one second of it. I think that it was an incredible learning experience and was really motivating for me. And um, it was absolutely what needed to happen. Well, that is that is very cool that you have that experience in your in your back pocket. Um, Liz, where can people find the planning school? Where can people find you on social media? How do people find the the work that you're doing before they get to experience it when our learning management system uh, <laughs> is up and running on July first? Yes, okay, so our website is go to planningschool.com. And we are on Instagram and on LinkedIn. And we are also on YouTube, putting some um, free lessons and content out on YouTube. So you can find us at GoTo Planning School um, or via our Instagram, YouTube, or LinkedIn. And we try to do a lot of free content and offer workshops. We've got a, a newsletter people can sign up for. We really believe in making these resources accessible. And sometimes that just means giving stuff away. So even if you don't have a big budget, please come find us and um, take advantage of the stuff that we do make available. I should also say, and this is not why we are talking to you. We don't sell spots on this podcast, but uh, I should also point out that you are a brand new commercial plus member of NAI. And so yeah. uh, it is uh, it is very exciting to have you involved with NAI at that level. And uh, you are doing such cool work. So thank you for, for all of your support of NAI and all the amazing work that you're doing out there in the world. Yeah, thank you, Paul. And thank you, Song. And honestly, it was a no-brainer when I finally was introduced to your organization and got to know you a little bit the values alignment and what you all stand for and what is a priority for NAI. It was a no brainer. We just had to be part of what you do. And interpreters. And interpreters that's, that's what's, what's up. up. <laughs> <laughs>